0: Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see you guys. Uh, welcome to those who might be visiting. I saw a couple new faces. I didn't get a chance to introduce myself, so I apologize for that. But uh, we're blessed that you're here, and thank you for joining us for worship. Uh, also, a belated happy Veterans Day to our veterans out there. Thank you for your dedication and service and sacrifice to uh, in the United States. We um, uh, love you and appreciate you uh, very much. All right, let's just jump right in. We are in the book of James. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to James chapter five with me. We're making our way close to the end here. Uh, We're looking at verses nine through 12 in our study. And if you need to borrow a Bible, you can raise your hand real high and the ushers will be happy to let you borrow a Bible if you need. As you're turning there, just real quick, just to say uh, welcome back to the Velez family. They left as a family of four and came back as a family of five. And so little Gideon uh, joined the Velez family crew and uh, it's great to see you guys, welcome back. All right, James chapter five, again verses nine through 12 as we continue to make our way towards the end here. Uh, We will be going to 1 Peter by the way uh, when we get to the end of James. And so looking forward to our time in 1 Peter as well. But uh, for this morning I entitled our, our message simply uh, another warning about our words. So another warning about our words. And we're going to consider what James has to say about some of the things that we say and uh, maybe shouldn't say, especially when we're in a time of pain or suffering or frustration, time of stress. And so uh, we'll consider what the word of God has for us this morning. If you're there in James 5, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we do here at Calvary in honor of God and his word. James writes 5, 9. He says, do not grumble. Your Bible may even say groan or gripe. Do not grumble against one another, brethren. Notice an admonition. He says, lest you be condemned, behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. And so that's, that's our context there. It's important, and we'll talk about that. He says, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, designed by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, brethren, he comes back to words. He says, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. And once again, another admonition, a warning, he says, lest you fall into judgment. All right, we'll pause there. Keegan prayed and Azar prayed. Take a moment, greet your neighbor, and then you can have a seat. So if you've been making uh, your journey with us through James, and if not, maybe you're familiar with the book of James, you know that uh, James has a lot to say about what we say. And through his entire letter, he, he peppers, if you will. Along the way, he inserts some reminders about our mouth. And he's already given us uh, some instruction. And he's already given us some warnings about our words. Uh, even as he began, he talked about how how we talk and how we pray to God and how that should be in faith, that we shouldn't be double-minded. In James 1.6, he says, but let us ask in faith, with no doubting. For a person who doubts is like the wave, of, or excuse me, like wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Uh, he's talked about how we should be careful to hold our tongue. There are times where maybe you want to, you know, you have, you want to say something, you want to break off a piece, you, you want to speak your mind, and, and and he basically says, hey, we, we should think before we speak. Like take a moment and pause. In James 1.19, he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Uh, James spent nearly an entire chapter, chapter 3, reminding us of the power of our words, that our words have the power to bring life to somebody and our words can be weaponized. And, uh, you know, it, it can destroy a life, Uh, Just by words, our tongues can be very sharp. He says, uh, one of the things he says in James 3 verse 10, he says, you know, out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. And he basically says, church family, that it should not be that way. Uh, James told us in chapter four that we, we shouldn't be trash talking other people. Uh, not to them and not about them. And he says similar here in James 5, but in James 4, 11, he says, don't speak evil of one another. Uh, he's told us not to be boastful in our words and arrogant in our speech. Same chapter, chapter 4, verse 16, he says, now you boast in your arrogance and he basically says, no, you're bragging, you're boasting, your pridefulness, it's evil. It's conduct unbecoming a Christian. We shouldn't operate that way. And so once again, we come back to then James addressing the things that we speak, what pops out of our mouth. Uh, And we've talked a lot about it. We referenced even how Jesus says, you know, out of really the heart, (laughs) out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that we often have to do heart surgery first, right? There's things that are going on in the inside and they get manifested on the outside. Well, he comes back to the topic of speech, and in context, uh, it relates to uh, what we utter, if you will, when we're under stress, or what we say when we're strained and when we're frustrated. Now, maybe you've heard the English acronyms, HALT or BLAST, uh, those acronyms that uh, are often cited that we have to be careful before we Either say something or make a decision, HALT as an acronym means if you're hungry or you're angry or you're lonely or you're tired, then pump the brakes. Be careful what you say or the decisions that you make. And BLAST is similar. It's if you're bored, if you're lonely, if you're angry, if you're sick, or if you're tired. If you're in any of those categories, you you know, you... We have to be careful. And I agree, I, I know that most, uh, it, m- most of my calloused and uh, complaining words have come from when I'm in one of those categories. I, I think it was uh, Chaplain Rob who talked about being hangry. Right? When we take this mix of two English words of hungry and angry and we've created a new word like that, that when we're hangry, uh, it's, you know, it's, both, it's two categories. And sometimes the things that we do and the things that we say uh, you know, um, can be cutting or, or uh, offensive. And sadly, what happens? If you're like me, well, we, we I tend to take it out on people who are closest to me. We can tend to complain to them. And uh, if left unchecked, it often can turn into then complaining about them or blaming them or worse, complaining about them to others. Uh, you know, my, my own family complains that I'm often too cheap or frugal, but I don't buy it. So, <laughs> so James James knows our human nature, and he, and he knows our tendencies. And when he writes to this group of believers who are under strain, who are being persecuted, who are living in a stressful time, he understands it's easy for us then to move towards grumbling and griping and complaining and, and, and to do that and project that on other people as a misguided means to bring relief to us. And so this is what James engages here. He, he speaks directly to our speech. And as a form of an outline, a note with you uh, or note with me, I should say, that he gives us three directives. There's two warnings that are part of that. Uh, When we are in a place of pain, when we're in a place of being stressed uh, and difficulty. And so he offers some biblical perspective for us to consider. And hopefully the next time we find ourselves tempted to complain and complain to and about someone, uh, this will curb some of our complaining and and dampen down some of our our, our griping. Verse 9, again, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. And so here's the first of the three imperatives or the three directions that James prescribes for us. And the application is in the negative. He's telling us something that we shouldn't do. It's prohibitive. Do not grumble. That's the application. Really simple. Do not grumble. Now, that word grumble also translated as gripe, as I mentioned earlier, as we read, or complain, or groan. And it means to express in words your feelings of discontent, of displeasure, being frustrated, you're unhappy, you're angry, you're bothered, all of those things. Now, right off the bat, we have to pause for a moment and remember context as always, when we study the scripture, especially for us as we tend to go uh, book by book and chapter by chapter and even verse or verses by verses, sometimes we can look in a section and, and, and we can forget what's the context, what's the greater uh, background of what James is addressing here. And so it's important for us to make sure we understand context. Again, because if we if we just stopped here and we just looked at "do not grumble," right? Do not complain against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. uh, We we're going to have some compounding problems with people in our life because healthy relationships require healthy communication, and we need to have the opportunity and the courage to be able to share with somebody when you are feeling frustrated and disappointed and bummed and unhappy and you're upset by something. To be able to say, listen, I don't appreciate what you did or I'm unhappy about this circumstance and these things that have happened. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 and 24, that if you have an issue with somebody, that it's best for you and for me to go to that person and make that issue known and make an attempt to reconcile with them directly in the context of there in Matthew 5 as Jesus says, even before you come to worship. It's like, even leave that off the altar and then go and get that solved and dealt with as best you can and then come back. Paul writes to the Philippian church in chapter two and he says, don't do anything from from strife, rivalry, or conceit. But in humility, esteem others and count others even better than yourself. Matthew chapter 18. Maybe you're familiar with that you know sometimes it's called the Matthew 18 principle it instructs us that if we have differences with somebody we have an issue with somebody we have a beef with somebody that we are to go to that person one on one and try to you know resolve those differences and those difficulties privately if it's a matter of sin it's a matter of the, then okay if that fails then to go and seek help in trying to resolve the dispute And so we have to understand context of what this is saying and what it's not saying. And so church family, I'll just say this in love. If if you have an issue with somebody, something's going on, uh, the Bible directs us. God would direct you and me to go to that person directly and go and try to sort that out. Don't go and talk to everybody else about it. And we've talked about this before. Certainly don't. Just jump to your own conclusions if you don't have all of the facts. We talked before about we've got to be careful when we assign motive. We might be able to see action, but we have to be really careful that we don't assign intention or motive like, oh, I know what that person intended to do. No, we don't. Unless you go and talk with them and say, what did you intend by that? What did you mean by that? If we just practice these simple things, I imagine so many of our of our tensions and our difficulties and our interpersonal relationships, a lot of a lot of that stuff gets solved. Because if we don't, I'm gonna say this in love, you and I, if I'm guilty of this, you're in sin. Plain and simple. We'll be in sin. And when we don't, if we don't pursue these things, we're like, I'm gonna just hang on to this and Listen, you and I will give place for the devil to work. And left unresolved, you've seen it, maybe you've experienced it. It leads often, it becomes divisive, it becomes gossipy, it becomes backbiting, slander, person gets embittered, grieves the spirit. And so again, I say this in love, if that's you, God is gracious, God loves you, God wants good things for you, And he directs us to go and talk with that person. Because again, maybe they don't know. Maybe genuinely they they didn't realize that what they said or what they did offended you or hurt you or disappointed you. And and when we do that, you know what happens? It provides a a healthy biblical avenue for reconciliation, for restoration, for strengthening of, of that relationship. And growth can happen. And forgiveness can happen. Again, too often, I, I think our tendencies is we're like, ah, I'm going I'm to cut this off, and and we end up copying the way of the world. We end up copying um, cancel culture, and, and just keeping things light. You know, we we use it as a mechanism. We just stay distant. Oh, I'm not going to address that because what happens? We you know we equate distance. Distance becomes a means of safety. But when we do that in our relationships, especially within the body of Christ, you and I, we, we will forfeit. You will forfeit depth and growth. If you stay in the shallows, everything will stay shallow. Your relationships will be shallow. And that's really not what God intends for us. And people who are in that place, again, I know people, maybe you do too, right? Like relationships then are just easily replaceable and they're disposable. But when hard things happen, there's no depth for any, you know, there's, there's, they feel like, oh, I, I got nobody. And that's not how God intended the church to be. So the context is really important. What is James saying? What is he not saying? He's not saying if you're frustrated, if you have an issue, if, you, if there's a difficulty, just don't say anything. He's not saying that. Remember, the Christians were experiencing oppression primarily by the rich. In chapter 5, he, he, he has some hard words for those who are trusting in their money, for those that were exploiting the rest of the body, the rest of the community. And so these believers were dealing with their own form of of stress and strain, of cancel culture and challenges, all because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And under that strain and under that difficulty of living in those conditions, it would be easy then for them, and almost a part we'd understand why they would then groan and grumble and complain about their circumstances. And not only to each other, but then unjustly begin to blame others, then to grumble about each other and to each other about each other. And that's a temptation we all face. When you are in pain, when you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, when you're sick, you're in a place where you're in stress and strain, when you're suffering and you're hurting There's a tendency, our flesh loves then to take that and project it to somebody else as a means to try to find relief. And we take it out often on people we're closest to our own family, people we love, people that we do life with. Well, I've been there, I don't know if you had. All of a sudden, just I'm having a stressful day and something happens. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, well, it's your fault to my wife. It's like, how's it my fault? I wasn't even there. Well, you married me. It's your fault, you know. This wouldn't happen if we didn't move here. You picked this house. You said okay to those orders. Why did you have to have those kids, you know? We do that, don't we? And that's what was happening here. And so James just addresses this head-on. You ever heard the saying that hurting people hurt people or hurt people hurt people? It's true. I'll be the first to admit I'm guilty, I've done it, where I've been hurt, I hold on to that, and then I end up just hurting other people. In the smallest of things. completely unrelated. And then I just get upset at Christy or get upset at the kids or, you know, I come into the office and I'm just grumpy. And I don't have a cat to take it out on. So. But it's not right, and yet we do that. And so James just tells us very straight way, do not do that. Don't, don't gripe or grumble against one another. Again, the idea is that if you have an issue with somebody, then just go have that conversation. Stop griping about it. Stop complaining about it. You and I are in sin if we do that. If we're, if we're not taking any action to solve the problem, we're just there wallowing and complaining, then you know, they, really we're just making it worse. Can I add this too? Like if, as an aside, if someone comes to you and they begin to complain about somebody else, some other circumstance, and you receive that, and you're like, oh yeah, and then, that, that's sin, you realize that, you, you and I, if we engage in that, we're being in sin of gossip, receive that. If someone comes to you, I, I would encourage you and challenge you to lovingly challenge them. Did you talk to that person? Is that really true? Did you find out? Did you go and have a conversation? Did you? address those things. I, I would challenge that person to do that. Now, if the issue is in your own heart, then we've got to take that to the Lord. You know, sometimes people just like to complain for the sake of complaining. But if we find ourselves in that place, then again, the question we can ask is like, Lord, all right, what are you trying to teach me through this? What, what are you trying to show me and how do you want to grow me through this, this circumstance that I'm frustrated in that I'm angered by? What's what's getting my goat? What's the lesson you have for me? And so James just tells us again, don't don't gripe against one another, brethren. Now, we we noted before how he comes back to this phrase of brethren, this title, a reminder that we're family together. In fact, he uses it in almost every single verse, in verse nine, and verse ten, uh, verse twelve, that we're family in Christ. But notice what he says. Here's the warning along with the admonition, or excuse me, the, uh, the uh, application and the admonition. The warning is, lest you be condemned. Lest you be condemned. What does that mean? In the simplest terms, it means uh, this is a big deal with God. We can't just like, lightly dismiss this and think, ah, it's okay. God is not a fan of our complaining. And God will hold you and me accountable when we move into that place of murmuring and griping and complaining against our brothers and our sisters in faith, and specifically in context. And I, and I understand that as a dad. I don't like when my kids come and they're just complaining about their siblings. I'm like, go work it out. Especially if it's just, uh, you know, what I would say is, trivial things. They're just upset about trivial things. And I wonder for us too that we allow trivial things just to get us so worked up about stuff. In some ways when we complain, really as God kids, we're complaining against the Lord. Either for what he's doing or as I mentioned, if we're not doing something in our own disobedience, we're not addressing the issue right away. Even in the Old Testament, we have this account where the people began to grumble, complain. In Numbers chapter 11, it says, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. He's not a fan of our grumbling, complaining. It says, the Lord heard it, though. And his response was, well, the Lord was angered. His anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them. That we're there in the uttermost parts of the camp. Now, praise the Lord that God doesn't uh, deal with us that way. I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I imagine many of us wouldn't be here. But what is the principle that we learn from that? Lest we be condemned. Here's the principle. we, we You and I will forfeit blessing and And we will suffer loss of depth of relationship, of growth, of maturity when we opt to just grumble and complain against others. You will forfeit and I will forfeit opportunities for depth of relationship and growth in the Lord and maturity in the Lord. When Miriam complained against her brother Moses, God struck her and struck her with leprosy. And as a result of that, she wasn't allowed then to be in the midst of fellowship. She wasn't allowed to go to worship as a result of her complaining against her brother. And so God removed her from that and she forfeited blessings. She forfeited fellowship. She forfeited opportunities. And that's exactly what will happen with us. Numbers 11 comes on the heels of when the children of Israel complaining, griping against the Lord for all that God you know, was doing. Although it was difficult at times, the Lord had a plan and a purpose through it all. And they forgot his blessings. Oh, a couple weeks ago we talked about, remember when they were complaining against the, the Lord's provision of manna? They're like, we're tired of manna. Manakati and Manigittis and they wanted something else. They wanted wanted to go to Yakiniku Goen, which is a good place to go by the way. They wanted meat. And so we talked before like, hey, be careful about how we complain because sometimes God will give you what you're asking for as the means to teach you, maybe you shouldn't have asked for that. Because if you know the account, God said okay, you're going to hear his meat, this quail. You remember what happened? This is gross, right? They ate so much it came out of their nose. E, have never eaten that much. Come out of my nose. That, but God was teaching them a lesson. They, they suffered the loss of good things. And so we have to be careful. The uh, application is direct. Don't gripe, don't grumble. You got an issue with someone, go to them. Be careful, because we will you and I. We become the ones that lose in that equation. He says in verse nine, uh, excuse me, the latter half of verse nine. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So he adds this: the this fact of Christ's return. Now he's talked about that already in the previous verses, and it had the co- the context was a little different. The reminder of the imminency, the soon return of Jesus Christ. And how when we're going through times of hardship, when we're going through struggles, it's a reminder that this is not our home. It's a reminder, like I use the illustration when I fly in an airplane and I hate it, it's temporary. It's going to land sometime soon. And I'm looking forward to the landing. Even through the turbulence and all of the difficulty of the tiny seats and the tiny bathrooms and the horrible meals. And life sometimes can feel that way. It's turbulent. It's difficult. We, we, we don't like it. And so to rem- a great reminder for us to keep hope and perseverance and endurance is, uh, an end is coming soon. It's going to be glorious. This is not our home. But along with that, the imminency of the return of Jesus Christ, not only does it produce hope and perseverance, it also should produce holiness and purity. It's Peter, and we'll get there in a couple weeks, who reminds us that uh, there's going to be one day soon where just everything's going to be purged by fire. And Peter says, if that's the case, then how ought we to live? in holiness, and purity, and reverence. It's all gonna burn, baby. And so Jesus is the righteous judge. And he's portrayed here as the judge standing at the door. And standing at the door implies proximity, it implies urgency. The idea that Jesus sees, he's fully aware of what we're going through. So he's there to sustain us give us hope and energy, but also he's there to see how we respond. What do we do in light of our challenges and difficulties? Are we taking it out on other people? Are we taking it out on our spouses? Are we taking it out on our kids? Are you taking it out on your cat? And so James is basically saying, hey, remember the Lord is there. You and I are going to be held accountable for our actions. And so it's good, a good reminder for us. In verse 10, he goes on and he says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and of patience. And so this is one of the options that James provides. It's the second application for us. The first is just simple. Don't gripe, don't complain. Here's the second one. Take... The old, take the prophets, take the Old Testament saints as an example of encouragement, as an example of perseverance, as an example of they're just like us and they went through some hard stuff too, but God was faithful to them and they remained faithful to what God had for them. And so, you know, the application in one sense is broad and easy. It's this, that we, we should and we can learn examples of our faith in life through the Old Testament, through the scriptures, In fact, the New Testament says of the Old Testament that those things have been written. The reason why we have that record is so that we can look and learn through the lives of other people, that we don't have to make the same, I'll call it, stupid mistakes. And we can see people who are just like us, who have... The same tendencies to wander off or run ahead of God or, or you know, give in to the flesh. And yet, how God and His grace worked in their life and ministered to them and used them and blessed them. And so it's good. I mean, that's why we study the scriptures. I'm actually surprised there's been times where I meet people and I'm like, oh, I've never studied the Old Testament. Like, you've never studied the Old Testament. You, you're missing out in a completely entire, like, amazing world. <laughs> a treasure chest of, of, of life lessons and of, of truth. And so here, James points to the Old Testament prophets. And he says, here's a model. Here are, those are models to emulate. We can learn a lot of things about them, but in context, we learned this. We learned that they were doing good and godly things and yet they still suffered. So a reminder for us that, uh, you know, sometimes we have the wrong idea. They think, oh, Lord, well, I'm just following you and I'm being the best boy and girl that I can be and then all of a sudden a problem comes up. You're like, what in the world? I thought I was doing good. The other thing we can learn is that They endured. They endured these hard knocks, these bumps, these difficulties, these dark days. And they remained faithful to what God had for them. Notice he says, okay, church family, my brethren, family, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. They stayed on mission, if you will. Their life's challenges, their difficulties, it didn't deter them from doing the right things. It didn't turn them back it didn't turn them away and didn't turn them on each other again context cuz sometimes when we go through hard things it can become the the thing that gets us to stop we're done i'm throwing in the towel that person said something so mean to me forget it i'm out of here or this happened or i'm disappointed or or whatever and, and then we we just say you know what we default to what i talked about earlier we just cut ties I don't want anything to do with that. Or sometimes when things get hard, right, again, we begin to turn on each other. Because our flesh wants someone to blame. It's our sinful nature. We want, you know, to become an excuse, sometimes even for our immaturity, our own shortcomings, our holding on to sin, our holding on to bitterness, our holding on to unforgiveness. And so we just play the blame game. That's part of our nature. Where do we get that from? We get it from Adam and Eve, right? He's classic Adam. He falls into sin. God approaches him, right? I've shared this with you before, right? In one sentence, he he blames three different people. I don't know, Lord. uh, Well, actually two, because, you know, Eve blames the serpent, right? The devil made me do it. Adam says, it's the woman that you gave me. You know. mm-hmm. you know, and we tend to do that. And so here James says, consider the prophets. All of the hardships that they went through stayed faithful to the course, even in the midst of these things. And the idea is, so can we. The same spirit of the Lord that empowered and enabled and blessed and Operated through their life is the same spirit that operates in our life and blesses us and works in us and empowers us, enables us. The disciples in the book of Acts did the same thing. Family and friends, society around them grew increasingly hostile against their faith. We're we're living in that world today. Instead of shrinking back in fear, instead of just hiding in the shadows, playing it safe, they, they moved forward in faith. And getting the question for us is, how about us? I mean, I, I wonder often for me and us as a whole and the church as a whole, how resilient is our faith really? Like how will we hold up when real persecution comes? Like will I, will I fold Will our, will our faith buckle? Will we be like, you know what, I quit? Or, or we persevere. Will we stay on course? And so James points to the prophets and says, listen, we, we have a great example. They're just like you and me. And God was faithful to them and they were faithful to the Lord. And then in verse 11, he says, indeed, we count them blessed who endure.'" And you've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end. Um, in, in my Bible, it's the New King James intended by, is italicized. And so the idea is that the translators included this as clarification. You've seen the end given by the Lord, intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. You've heard the saying, hindsight is 20 we're able to look back on something and 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 look at it with better clarity than you and I did when we were entering in that or in the midst of that. And that's the idea here. We can we get to read the testimonies of these prophets of old, and we can easily say, "Oh, look how faithful God was." But if we're in the sandals of Jeremiah as he's thrown into the miry clay pit, if we're in the Sandals of uh, Joseph as his brothers betray him and, and sell him uh, into slavery. Right? You find yourself in that place, you don't know the end of the story. We didn't say, oh, I'm blessed of the Lord, look at me. And so, you know, we get to see the evidence of God's promises played out. Romans 8, 28, that all things are going to work together for good, for those who God has called. And God's promise to us. Over and over again, the scripture says, right? He'll never leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus would say. And so we have example after example of the faithfulness of God, his track record of keeping his words. And we find ourselves in a similar place. Well, it may not look the same. We're not in a pit with, you know, we're not in a den of lions, literally. But maybe you're in a place of difficulty and it's hostile. And you've been wrongly accused or wrongly treated. You find yourself a, a victim of circumstance. Was it in your control at all? Just that's what happened? And then here's where you find yourself. And now you've got to deal with the pieces and the hand that you got dealt. And so it may not look exactly like what they went through, but but God did a great work in and through their lives, and God wants to do the same kind of work in your life and through your life and with your life the same. And it's hard for us when we're in the midst of it to see that. And it's hard for us to have perspective in the middle of those things cuz it's dark and we're frustrated and we want out right we want to change we're hurting and so it's good to come back and be reminded that he who began a good work in you the promises he'll complete it till the day of Christ Jesus that god isn't going to leave you and abandon you although we may not see him or sense him he's there like the psalmist in Psalm 23, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for the Lord's with us. His, his rod and his staff, they comfort me and they, and they guide us. And one of those ways that we then can keep hope is by remembering and preaching the gospel to ourselves that what God has done in the life of others and what he's also done in our own life, just last year and two years ago, Right? We have our own testimony. And so here's an applicational point. It's good for us when we recall and we meditate and we, we worship the Lord, we think about his past faithfulness to those who have gone before us, the, even in our own lives. It, 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 it enables us, it helps us to hold on to you know, his present promises and his future ones too because God's faithful. His track record is perfect. And so, yeah, we can count them blessed. We know the end of their story. We have that perspective. Now James points out one in particular. He says, you've heard the perseverance of Job, seen the end intended by the Lord, very compassionate and, and, and merciful. James now points to one specific Old Testament figure as an illustration, a proof of God's record of grace and mercy and And um, and blessing, compassion. Job. You guys know the story of Job? If you don't know the story of Job, I encourage you to read that this week. He's the hardest working man in the Bible. Job. 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 There are a lot of examples of perseverance that James could have cited. Um Mentioned some earlier, Joseph, Jeremiah, Daniel. It's interesting that people who seem to um, always come up last or come up short Like when you look upon the life initially at Joseph or Daniel or Job, that, that's the first response, right? Like they, they got the short end. They got dealt a really bad hand. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like life's just against you? That everything is a fight? Everything is an uphill battle? Like you never seem to get a break? So if you, if you find yourself in that place, I say this in, in love, hopefully in encouragement, you're in good company. I mean, many of the Old Testament prophets and saints found themselves in that same place. You know, for some people, it's the opposite. You ever have those people in your life? Or maybe that's one of you, right? Everything seems just to come easy to them, or maybe that's you. Like I know a few people like that. They, they always seem to win the raffles. Right. They, they're the ones who get promoted. They, they seem to have it so good. Like life is never hard for them. I feel like my own my eldest son is like that. Some of you guys know Noah. Like he just seems that God has just put him in the right place at the right time, always, and just given him crazy favor in his work and his life. Like when he first got this job, he called two weeks later. He's like, "Dad, I got a raise." I'm like, "What? The two weeks?" <laughs> Like they must feel sorry for you. They know that you're a missionary kid, you know. And two weeks later, after that, Dad, I got another raise. Like what? Like Do they raise the you know federal minimum wage? Maybe that's why you got a raise, you know. And then a month later, Dad, I got another raise. I'm like, okay, something's wrong. Maybe I'm going to pray for your boss. I don't know, you know. <laughs> and then within a year, Dad, I got promoted and I got my own corner office. And I'm like, I'm going to go work for you. What's going on here, you know? Some of you guys know, right? he bought his truck in cash and, uh, you know, he makes, he makes more money than I do. I, I, and there's a part of me, I don't know if I feel proud or jealous, right, like, <laughs> or worried. And there's some people that, man, it just, it seems as though, like, everything just goes easy for them. I'm envious if that's you. <laughs> that's not me. Maybe that's not a lot of us. That certainly wasn't the life of Job. We, we look at him, we look at others, and we think, man, they got dealt a bad end. Well, initially, when we first meet him, though, we think that, right? Like, everything seems to be great. He's a man of wealth. He's a man of stature. He has a beautiful family. And yet, he's going to go through the ringer. And Joseph was like that, betrayed by his family. Daniel's like that, trying to do well as best he can in a very pagan and hostile workplace and neighborhood. Hannah, some of the ladies you guys are studying, um, First Samuel on Wednesday nights, you know her story. She seemed like she got dealt a bad hand. Jealousy in her family, a long season of waiting for a baby. Misunderstood, misjudged. Ruth, her whole family life, tragedy. Just turned her entire world upside down. She had to move and move around and move again and just found herself in a place where it was just her and her mother-in-law. We we, we look at these people and we think, man, and yet we get to see the end of the story. We we get to say, oh, how blessed they are what God has done with them. Listen, God's not done with your story yet. The, the The story of God's grace in your life is still being written out. But with Job, no one would choose Job's life. We, we, we know his story. That dude was rocked hardcore. Everything that was dear to him was lost. His entire family died all his children did. The source of his wealth was gone. It wasn't even a stock market crash, right? It's just uh, his whole life savings, his stock crashed, right? His stock was gone, livestock of epic proportions, He ends up suffering physically, terribly sick and diseased, took over his body, where his only relief is to scratch himself with broken pots. And then here comes his friends who really didn't help. Right? He becomes a a debate of theology and doctrine. Even his own wife would say, you know what? Why don't you just curse God and die? That's the option. And Job went through all of that in some really dark days trying to process all of that, all that was happening. And here comes his friends and his bowling team and they're not, they're not helpful at all. Accuse them of hidden sin, accuse them of duplicity, that God doesn't operate that way. And at, at some point, Job gets so low, he doesn't curse God, but he actually curses the day he was born. Why did I have to be born? And yet, Job, through it all, stayed true, (laughs) trusted the Lord. What he began with, in chapter one of Job, he says, you know, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'm going to return. The Lord gave, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? Job responds to her and says, "I I don't know that you're really thinking Wisely. He says, you're, you're, you're speaking like a foolish woman. Are we only to accept the good things from God and, and not adversity? And the Bible says, In all of that, Job did not sin in what he said. The example of in his mouth, right, with the things that he said. And so James points to that. And, and notice how it's phrased, though. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord so we know the end. You know the end of the book of Job, right? God blesses him more than when he began. But really, that's not necessarily the focus of what James brings us to. He says, The end intended by the Lord certainly brought blessing, but that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. In the lord's plan for you and the lord's purposes for us. In Jeremiah 29:11, right? That God says, "I know the plans that I have for you," declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. For Job it was that God would bless him more at the end than in the beginning, materially but that's really not what James brings us to. Here's here's the blessing that James brings us to, that that we get to experience the compassion and the mercy of the Lord in a greater way. See, it's hardships that become a vehicle in your life and mine that we then get to experience God in a greater and growing way. In a way that we maybe wouldn't experience him if everything's just A-OK and everything's just happy-go-lucky. The depth of our devotion and, and the, the quality of, of our love for the Lord. We, we get to see that. In Mark chapter 4, we read about the disciples and Jesus. They're on this boat and it says a big storm comes. And, it, and it's because of this terrible storm that they go through. And mind you, remember, most of them are professional fishermen. It'd be like, you know, if you've lived in Okinawa for a while, and here comes the typhoon, we often joke, like, when typhoon comes, it's not panic, it's party, right? Like, eh, typhoon party. But it'd be like if this terrible category five plus super, super typhoon came. Which we know, right? If, if Family Mart closes, like, oh, no, Right? <laughs> Oh no. (laughs) These guys went through something they've never went through before. And it it talked about how they were despairing even unto life, and yet they get to see Jesus do something they've never seen him do before. All they've seen him do miracles before. But he stands up and he calms the sea and he calms the wind. And we're told uh, in the gospels that they marvelled that even he had power over those things. They get to see a new dimension of Jesus in their life. They've already walked with him and talked with him. They've experienced him, but they experience him in a greater way, a new dimension. And and sometimes the Lord allows these storms in your life and mine because we then get to see Jesus in a greater way. We experience him in a way that we haven't experienced him before. And by the way, to continue that story, that's why I believe years later when Peter then is arrested for his faith and he's thrown in prison in the book of Acts, You know what we find him doing? Anybody know? For a thousand points? Sleeping. He's sleeping. In in fact, God sends an angel to bust him out and and the angel has to kind of wake him up like my teenagers. Come on, get up. He's able to sleep despite terrible things happening to him. I think it's because he learned that lesson on the boat. And then James ends, verse 12, above all my brethren, Again, a reminder of family, a reminder of the context. He brings this verbal highlighter, church family. Here's what we should do. Here's our aim. Above all of this, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or any other oath, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. He, qu- he quotes his own brother, where Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Here's, here's the next application, also followed by an, an an admonishment, lest you fall into judgment. James isn't saying you shouldn't take an oath. James isn't saying you shouldn't make a solemn promise. Again, context matters. He, he's stressing the point that we should have integrity in our words. Again, connecting suffering with our speech, He basically he says, be honest and forthright what you say, certainly at all times, but especially when you're hurting, especially when you're frustrated, especially when you're under pressure. Because the the temptation that we can face is we want to spin things. We want to twist the truth. We want to solicit sympathy or we want to garner some support, uh, to, you know, to make us feel like we're justified or alright. And so we won't, we won't necessarily bring all of the truth to the situation. People are like, oh, that's terrible. I can't believe that happened to you. And Oh, but we didn't say everything. We we weren't forthright in our speech. And so, not only can we take it out on people, we were tempted to spin and uh, edit things when we're in a place of pain or hurt. We exaggerate or we purposely leave out details. And James basically says hey, church family, don't do that. Don't spin it, don't twist the truth, don't distort the facts. Just just let your yes be your yes, and your no be your no. Just be completely honest in your words. We don't need to campaign for sympathy or make it seem worse than it was. And again, that's our nature, isn't it? We try to validate things. In fact, even the idea of swearing, like, oh, I swear to God, this happened. Or I swear on my grandmother, great-grandmother's grave. James says there's no need to do that. Sometimes we make ourselves look more suspicious when we have to swear on something, right? Listen, if others don't believe you, they don't trust you, that's their problem. Just speak the truth plainly and simply always. Amen? All right. I kept you over. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for these life lessons that we can glean and Lord, we do pray you'd help us in the midst of difficulty to guard our mouth. We know ultimately it's really a matter of guarding our heart that then guards our mouth. But Lord, our tendency to take it out on people that we love or closest to. To grumble, complain to them and about them. And really, it, it, it's just us. It's our own heart issue. We're the ones who are unhappy. We're the ones who are dealing with discontent. And, and so, Lord, help us to pause in those moments as we, we've learned before. Just there's something going on in us, Lord. Help us to learn and grow and mature and whatever that lesson that you have for us. And so, Lord, help us to, especially when we're under strain, to be that much more mindful. Lord, that we would invite your spirit first and foremost, that our default would be to pray and think through, process. Lord, I do pray if there's anybody here that finds themselves in a place of strain with a relationship, a loved one, and they haven't gone and just shared their heart and laid it on the table, that Lord, I pray that you encourage them to do that. And I pray that you to go ahead of them and that, that conversation would go so great healing and restoration and forgiveness and understanding could happen. And Lord, even if it doesn't, just to know, as your word says, that as best as we're able, as much as it's dependent upon us, that we'll try to be at peace with all people. Lord, we thank you for the reminder that you're coming back soon. Not only has it become uh, a means of hope, uh, of perseverance, but Lord, also for holiness and purity. And pray that, Lord, that we pursue those things, that we wouldn't sin, that we wouldn't make excuses, Lord, for the things that we do and say. But that our, our yes would be yes and our no would be no. Lord, that we wouldn't spin truth, that we wouldn't twist facts around just to make ourselves look better. And so, God, we thank you for these practical lessons. Things that we can, in a sense, put a handle on and walk out with and and principles to live by. We love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. I pray that you have an amazing...